Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. It's our end-of-year show, the one where the contributors tell us their favourites of 2022, and we try to stop Jeff talking his usual nonsense. An almost impossible task. We were also joined by a few friends of the show who will be telling us their top picks of the year. Does that include the fabled listener, Frank? (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, no. We don't review porn films, but if we did, then we would be including things like... Oh, no. (laughs) Please don't. Womb Raider. (laughs) Shaving Ryan's Privates. (laughs) Inspector Gadget. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Acropolypse Now. Bangby. (laughs) 28 Gays Later. (laughs) Men in Black Men, and that, <laughs> and that absolute classic, Sergeant Pecker's Lonely Hearts Club Gangbang. <laughs> wow! So okay. no, we're not we're not including any of those. <laughs> so thank you, Frank, for the mm-hmm. submissions. But no, we only review culture and unfortunately Marvel movies. <laughs> And for those listeners who have been asking for Darren's dash... It's coming back bigger and better in the new year. Oh, you got to get me to say that, didn't you? (laughs) So this is why you hid the script till right before the show. Greetings and salutations. I'm Jeff, possibly for the last time after this. Hi, I used to be Graham. Uh, My name's Neil. Hi, I'm Phil, and when I'm not at the flicks, you can find out more about my film tastes via my blog, philthebearblog at wordpress.com. Darren isn't with us for this part of the show, although he will be joining us later to give us his top five. And you can also follow Darren on his Twitter handle of Dazza Loves Movie, and read his excellent blogs at halfguarded.com. Twenty twenty two were a year. Change of monarchs, war in Europe, three British Prime Ministers, Matt Hancock eating a penis, England missing penalties. But it's not all good news. <laughs> a major cinema chain is in trouble. As well as being honest, the standard of film has been very hit and miss this year. Releases have been as erratic as Neil's golf swing and often as poor. So, it'll be interesting to see what everyone has selected for their films of the year. I will also have to add a disclaimer that this episode is being recorded early December, meaning both Phil and Darren reserve the right to change the order if they see something dynamic between now and the end of the year. Now, I'm with them on this, as I think I want to dance with somebody. It's not only going to be the icing on the cake that is 2022, it's going to sweep the Oscars next year. Looks like Jeff has found a new Thank God It's Friday. Actually, I think this one could be good. I will certainly be there on opening day with my <laughs> me T-shirt on. I might join you if I can work out where the cinema is. <laughs> Jeff, are you going to collate our individual top fives into a joint at the flicks list like you did last year? I am, Phil, and I think you'll be surprised with the results. <laughs> yeah, I'll be surprised if you don't treat like you did last year. If a Mel Gibson film's even mentioned, we'll know he's cheated or faked it. I can assure you I never fake it. 
Now, you two are about as subtle as an Iranian headscarf. Oh, good grief. OK, let's end this before we get a fatwa called on us and go back to the show. Come on, lads. I can't believe you're going to have me say this. <laughs> Agrees. Look what happened to Salman Rushdie. <laughs> Jeff. I can't believe you put that in. Can we have a discussion with you, Jeff, on lines and not stepping over them, right? Yes. Right, moving on. Who are the special guests telling us their top fives? All of them are top in their field and have contributed to previous shows. So I think, yep, they all know their stuff. Let's start with our very own horror queen, Kelly, who you will not be surprised has gone for a dark top five and has a special shout out for a recent Netflix TV series. One of the pleasures of 2022 has been working with Kelly on a number of At The Flick shows. Her knowledge of and enthusiasm for horror movies has been an absolute treat to listen to. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the year end show. Hello. (laughs) How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> You're a team member now. There's no escape. Yeah. So are you all set for New Year? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you could line up a whole series of horror movies. 2022 has been quite a good year for horror. You've had things like sequels to Scream, Halloween, A New Hellraiser. Oh, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously. Big names have come back in 2022, but there also have been quite a surprising amount of very underrated entries that have been really good. So before we start on your top five, I believe you've got a couple of honorary mentions you want to make. Yes. So I'll start with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So that came out on Netflix. It was pretty silly, very modern, focuses on modern day like influencers on the internet they have completely cut out everything from after the texas chainsaw massacre 1974 okay basically it's 1974 then it goes to 2022 they go back to so so essentially they did what halloween did yeah don't take it seriously go in brain switched off just go in, watch it. There's some really creative kills in it. Really cringeworthy dialogue. It is pretty funny. The only thing I hate is that they brought back Sally from the original. Obviously not the original actress since she passed away. But they tried to do a Jamie Lee Curtis right. with the Sally okay. character. And it just, it just bombed. So, okay, so Scream 5. This is one that I've was really looking forward to since Scream is my favourite film of all time. Everybody knows that. I wasn't very happy that they were doing a fifth film since Wes Craven died. And I thought, if you're going to do this, please don't piss all over his legacy. So how did you think these directors, Matt Bettinelli-Alpin and Tyler Gillett, handle things? I feel like they did a really good job. They did things very differently, very modernly. What went wrong for you then that it didn't make your top five? It didn't work well for me because they had the legacy characters, which are Sydney, Dewey and Gail in it, but they weren't in it long enough. And that's probably because they want to do that whole moving the torch onto somebody else trope. They did do a good job of introducing some new characters. Some of them are linked to 
original characters. We also have Jenna Ortega, who is currently like my most favorite actress at the moment. Yeah, we're going to be talking about her later on. Yeah. She is just smashing every role that she does right now. She's going to be in the sixth film. Unfortunately, Nev Campbell is not going to be in the sixth film, but Courtney Cox will be. Thing I'm not really happy about doesn't feel like Scream anymore because Sydney Prescott's not going to be in it. It's going to be based in New York. It's and it really only has Gail Weathers left as a legacy character, and I think that's only because she does her TV show in New York. So I reckon all the kids from the fifth film are going to go to New York in college, and some stuff's going to go down there. But apparently, it's going to be a lot gorier and crazier. We shall see then. So, if these films you know, are the honorary mentions, and uh, they're, they're pretty good honorary mentions, can't wait to see what your top five are. What's in fifth position? Number five. Yep. Is Terrifier 2. Oh, gosh. <laughs> really oh, happy that this one made my top five because you lovely guys sent me the Blu-ray. We sent you the last one in Cheltenham. Let's be clear. About <laughs> the last, the very last copy in Cheltenham. And I watched it and I hate you. <laughs> I actually hate you. Like, it's so disgusting. <laughs> yeah, anytime we can brighten your life up, just yeah, yeah. no Cal. That's what we're here you, for. Yeah, you noticed it was sealed. That would be because we weren't going to watch it. <laughs> it. It's it's unbelievable though. When Terrifier was first on Shudder, it was just some like gritty B movie knockoff. Art the Clown became so iconic so fast. And then when they started making the second film, I think more and more and more people started to realise who he was. But because there'd been no like theatrical uh, showings of it anywhere, he's still like this kind of very unknown demon that was just slowly building an audience. And then by the time the second film came out, boom, <laughs> you couldn't find that blu-ray anywhere he's become quite an iconic character hasn't he yeah, yes definitely. yeah definitely but yeah i finally got to watch it and oh my god <laughs> <laughs> was it just was it just disgusting or just terrifying beyond belief i think i did actually have a nightmare about him <laughs> it's it's the fact that he's a clown that mimes he doesn't <laughs> react to anything you can stab him you can shoot him he won't make a sound he'll just be like oh that hurts but Mm. not make a sound he's animated but oh oh no it's the fact that he's so gleeful about it he'll go and kill someone he won't just do it quick he will literally make it really drawn out and really like torturous and horrible and you have to sit and look at it, and you're like, why? Why are you doing this? So, like, so just I, make it stop. Can I just check? You only had one night of nightmares after this? It did play on my mind a lot, but I did have one nightmare. Yeah. So, also, this film has a runtime of two and a half hours of a psychotic clown running about, <laughs> killing people silently. 
<laughs> and all you hear is their screams, and the whole film is just red. Okay, well, I can't believe we can find anything gorier than that, but I don't want to put that to the test. What's number four, Kara? X. Oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, good choice. It is part of a trilogy. So Pearl came out not long after. We haven't had that in the UK in mainstream cinemas because the UK is crap. So I haven't been able to watch it yet. But um, that's a prequel to X. And then next year, there is going to be a sequel to X <laughs> called Maxine, which is Max Xxine. <laughs> X came out this year. It was based in the 1970s in Texas. It's about a bunch of young people that want to make an adult movie. So they hire out this farmhouse area. And I think he hit the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm. 70s vibe really well. Like it looked like it was set there. Not really grainy, but it looked like it was set there. Like I think the clothing, the heat, everything just looked spot on. It yeah. looked like it was probably from the 70s. Yeah. And and by the way, if you want to watch uh, X, if you listen to the show, you can now get it from Amazon Prime. Really looking forward to seeing Pearl. And then what he does with Maxine. Oh, top that with number three then. Okay, so number three, Barbarian. I, I keep hearing about it. I honestly don't know what this one's about. What's it, what's it about? There's just so many things going on in this film. <laughs> God. A woman books an Airbnb. She gets there late. It's raining and hardly any service. There's nothing around. She tries to get into the into the Airbnb. Can't get in. Someone's already in there. It's been double booked. The guy that is in there lets her in and they have this awkward exchange and he's sort of like, don't go out now because, you know, it's really treacherous. Uh, it's not safe. So why don't you stay here? We'll figure it out in the morning. We'll stay in separate rooms. Yeah, she stays <laughs> with some strange man. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. That's what they want you to think. All right. Okay. okay. I'm not saying anything further than that. Okay. I've literally pretty much not written anything for this because you just have to watch it. So yeah. barbarian is go in with an open mind and expect the unexpected. Yes. I think that's Absolutely. one for me. That's one for me, definitely. Top that one then. Number two. This one I wish wasn't on my top five, but it was so effective. It did what it wanted to do. It horrified me. And please don't watch it. Oh, okay. Right. Speak no evil. Okay, yeah. this one I definitely don't know. A Danish family visits a Dutch family they meet on holiday. What was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly starts unravelling as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. Wow. So it's a deeply upsetting film. You'd never watch it again. You'd never recommend it, but it's number two. It was that effective. I know that sounds so weird, but... Okay, so I have... I've, I wrote down a, a few films that are, um, that have left me with the same sort of, like, similar harrowing, awful emotions afterwards. But it's a well-made film, though, from the sound of it. Yes. So th there are films, maybe you've seen some of them. Uh, there's 
a film called Eden Lake. Uh, go on, um, I, I, I don't think I could sit through Eden Lake. It's kind of like that. <laughs> okay, then uh, I won't. Yeah, right. You've sold me straight away not to watch it. Yeah. Uh, funny Games, The Mist, Kill List, Old Boy, Excision. Uh, I, I I don't even want to recognise it as a film, but it always gets brought up. But a Serbian movie. Um, no, I don't want to watch that. that um, Just has this cruel, mean-spirited plot. No, it's not for me. Right, okay then. Well, I think that, I mean, that honestly sums up my view of staying with people in Cornwall. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> they speak highly of you as well, Jeff. Don't worry. Uh, I, I live near them, I tell you. I wouldn't trust them. Right. Okay. Well, top that then with your number one, your top film of the year, Cal. Deadstream, which is my number one horror of 2022. So this film, once again, it's a shadow film. It's about a guy. He's like, a social media influencer. He made like some sort of cock up and all his followers started to disappear and unfollow him. So he wants to regain them and get them all back. So he does this big challenge thing, which is stay in a haunted location overnight by himself and live stream it all. So it's dead stream, live stream. It's very silly it borders onto evil dead silly which is a great callback it actually does have some jump scares in it it's such a comical horror film when he jumps and screams you will too i'm one of those people that if someone screams i scream so <laughs> good to know I'm, yeah i'm one of those annoying people but so every time he's like ah then i'm like ah after and then i like get annoyed at myself and I'm like oh for god's sake Kelly it keeps you engaged and it's very very funny it's very modern obviously with the cancel culture and influence based thing I'm a very 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 big fan of the found footage subgenre so I think this one was always going to be a big one for me even though I found out about it two minutes before I watched it and since then, I've watched it three times. So Brilliant. <laughs> it's just silly, but it does have some good, effective scares in it. For once in my life, I think something that isn't completely morbid or totally right. cast down is actually my favourite horror film of the year. I'm glad they're doing something that's going back to the 80s and doing the throwback of like the comical, silly, practical effects and things like that. Good. Deadstream. That wow. goes on my list. Yeah, Good and show. again, like one that I don't think a lot of people know about, so hopefully it will mm. garner some attention. Well, that's an excellent top five. Uh, interesting you. to pick one that you would never watch again. I find that uh, very, really intriguing, but I understand yeah. why. <laughs> Before we leave you for your New Year's uh, celebrations, you want to give a shout out for a TV series that's really impressed you this year? Wednesday came out uh again jenna ortega absolutely one to watch i think netflix has listed wednesday as the most popular streaming series right now it's overtaken stranger things yeah i think you tweeted out the dance sequence she does which is oh, one screen. of the first bits yeah it looks brilliant 
No, this is great. My, my wife and I watched it and loved it. I loved and watched the whole thing and really, really enjoyed it. Oh, so oh that's God, the I thing. Am. She's going you across generations. Yeah, it's not really scary, is it? No. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of blood. But you, oh, my oh, God, yeah. you actually watched it. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the thing, and um, the thing my wife said about it is the actual central mystery is really, really good. And there's another mm. mystery in there as well. And then yeah. when you think, oh, she solved the two mysteries, she's leaving in the car, and you think, uh-huh, what's happening here? And then there's another mystery. Who's <laughs> watching her? And you think, oh, that's really well. And it's very Tim Burton, and I like Tim it's, Burton. Oh, my God, it's so Tim Burton. I, I adored the program. I thought some of the dialogue was a bit yeah, yeah. cringy, but General Tager was very, very, very good on Wednesday. Um, there was this whole thing about how she tried not to blink a lot. Yes. And Tim Burton loved that, so he would try to make sure that she didn't blink any time she was on screen. <laughs> um, there's probably about four times that she genuinely smiles throughout the whole program. And that's eight episodes, so that's quite a long time to not smile. But Jenna really, really did really well. Yeah, Jeff, you okay. have to count that. It's great. Yeah, no, no, I am. I am. And I, I, it sounds as though it's something I can put on with Les in the room. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, 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 very it's, funny. it's completely PG friendly and like it's not yeah. crazy. Can I just say Excellent. one more thing about it yep. quickly? So we obviously have the ending of season one of Wednesday and everyone's really hoping for a season two, but we know how Netflix can be. You'll have the most popular TV show on Netflix one day and then the next it will get cancelled so yeah. hopefully we do get a season two because I'd really like to see Wednesday go back to Nevermore and solve some more mm. crimes uh, yeah. yes in the new year uh, that's definitely on my list to watch one of the first yeah. things I'm going to watch I promise I'll be reporting back on that <laughs> uh, Kelly it's been brilliant talking to you about your films and may you and your family have a very happy 2023 and we and look yours. forward to you coming back on the show again shortly thank you thank, thank you, you Kelly. very much thanks Kelly next up is Elijah our rambling pal along with his top five you couldn't resist another opportunity to talk about his favorite tv show of the year Hello, Elijah and Peter, and welcome to the show. <laughs> Got my little okay? boy with me. Yeah. Is he okay? Oh, yeah. He's touching everything on my desk. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so let's chat your top five movies of the year. And I can't wait to hear what these are. You got to see, even Peter's excited about this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go. What's in position number five? I didn't quite get to rank them because I was trying to catch up on a lot of movies in the last few weeks. The unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes. Hey. Yeah, I love that film. <laughs> it, it, it's it's really funny, and I think Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, just having a great deal of fun. Yeah. And of course, a lot of love there for Paddington too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Paddington too is as good as they as they were saying. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's a thumbs up from Peter there. Yeah. <laughs> Number four. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. That's been a very popular and very successful film this year, isn't it, really? 
I uh, I really enjoyed it. I think they did the uh, the idea of the multiverse the best I've ever seen it done. Yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. It's silly. like there's there's parts of it that I really wish they'd left out. Yeah, it was a wee bit long, but yeah. Did did you realize that one of the guys was the young kid from Indiana Jones, all grown up? I found that out later. Uh, me, yeah. too. me too. Me too. It yeah. blew me away. And there there were so many because I apparently it was made for Jackie Chan. And oh, then wow. they made it for Michelle Yeoh. But there's so many nods to Jackie Chan and yeah. his uh, martial arts style in movies, you know, improvising weapons and, you know, environmental fighting. Michelle Yeoh is great in everything. So And Jamie Lee Curtis. So that was really good. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she plays like that weird troll. Yes. The sticker yeah. on her forehead. And-, and and the floppy fingers. From the sound of it, it's one of Peter's favorites as well. So I think that's yeah. it's, we're doing well here. We're doing good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Number three. I'm going to actually make it Pinocchio. Oh, The wow. uh, Guillermo del Toro version. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen this yet. No, no. I'm looking forward to this. I just oh. watched it a couple days ago. It's gorgeous and beautiful. And the animation is so, so good. The music is excellent. The It has songs in it, but the songs aren't annoying. Like, I've been listening to the score oh, on repeat. Oh, the Desplat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Desplat's amazing, but uh, he really he really did something special with the score. Yeah. We haven't seen it yet. So what's different, say, to the Disney version? How do they handle the story? They don't try to be Disney at all. Oh, good. Yeah. There's no donkeys. Hey. Oh, right. So they, they excise that out of the story. But really doubles down on the father and son aspect. In fact, the main theme, the musical theme that goes through the film, is from a song that the father sings to his son. And that's the musical cue that is the, the, major, the main theme. I've said that like five times now. But it's the, the, the theme that, that carries the movie through musically. Is it quite dark as a film? Oh, it is, yeah. But it's dark in a good way, like good old fashioned Disney, like the, the the original Disney film. Yeah, not whatever they did this year. Oh, there's the other version, isn't it? Is that the Tom Hanks one that's out? Yeah, the one that looks like uh, Pinocchio's from Hell. Oh right, okay. Not showing your prejudice there at all. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, like this one, it, there's a lot of spiritual elements in it as well that are by spiritual elements, I mean a lot of. Christian imagery and even ideas straight from the Bible that are done in a unique way. So there's a, a kind of a meme that's gone around of the biblically accurate angel. They're surrounded by eyes with wings that have eyes and all this stuff. And it's kind of a joke at this point. He takes that idea for some of the, the magical creatures that appear in the film. And it's a really cool nod. And it makes for a visually stunning creatures as well. He does have a thing about eyes, doesn't he? The, yeah. the, the monster in Pan's Labyrinth with the eyes yes. on the hands. Yeah, he just absolutely has a strange obsession with eyes. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. right. Well, you sold this to me. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to check that out now. What would you say would be the age range of that film? How, how old would um, you have to be? I would do older kids. So, like, eight would yeah. probably be the, the youngest. It's, it's set in uh, World War II. And so there's oh, right. Nazis, there's a, there's a lot of death. It takes the story, you know, very, very seriously, even though it's animated, you know, because Guillermo del Toro doesn't, he doesn't make a distinction between animated and, and live action when it comes to how he tells stories. Yeah. 
which I, I love about his films. It's just another format for expression. Yeah, unbelievable. Oh, yep. Ticks all my boxes to watch that one. Mm. Well, let's move into the top two. Number two. Top Gun Maverick. Okay. <laughs> the best experience I've had at the theater in a while. The last 45 minutes. I mean, we did a, a rambling on this. Yeah, we? yeah. Yeah. We did. yeah. To do to come out early next year. Yep. They'll hear a little bit more about it later. But uh, the last 45 minutes are just phenomenal. And it ticks all of the boxes that you want in a in a sequel where it pays homage to the original without becoming just an homage. Yeah. yeah. So when you watched it in the cinema, did, were audiences sort of cheering at this point in this last 45 minutes or was it fairly quiet? I don't remember any cheering, but yeah. I don't know. I was just enthralled in the entire sequence, so I didn't notice anything going on around me, to be honest. Did you watch it in an IMAX cinema? I did. I oh, did, yeah. Incredible. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, some of those moments where the planes are pulling some of these maneuvers, you don't know what you're seeing is real or CGI yeah. because of how well they've integrated it. It just it catches you on a visceral level. Yeah, so, no, it's a great film. Stunning, uh, great action. Much, much better than the first one, I thought. Oh, yeah, it actually has a plot. Yes, yeah, and that, yeah, that, you know, that's the one that thing that always got me with the original Top Gun. Whoa, right, this is looking good, looking good. So, what are we going for number one? All Quiet on the Western Front. Wow. Okay. The Netflix one. Yes. It's a German film, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, you had to really pay attention. I couldn't just, like, kind of sit back and not, you know, watch because I could listen to what was going on. There's something about World War One movies that really gets to me because of how pointless the entire thing was. Yeah. And when you see people just getting mowed down and, and, and killed and the thing, they're, they're all dying for nothing. Yeah. And this one, it lets you get to know these characters and it doesn't do a whole lot to develop, you know, the surrounding characters, but just enough that you, you know, you care for them. It shows a small mindedness of the generals who are seeking glory. Yeah. There were moments where I, I was close to crying because of how emotional it is. And there are moments of incredible beauty, you know, around this brutality and the horror. Because it's really a horror film. You're, every time you watch the battle, there's no glory to it. There's no there's no sense no. of fun. You know, you're not watching this to enjoy yourself. No. Even though it is, it's a very rewarding experience. Like the director knew that the film was so heavy that there are moments where it just, for about 10 to 20 seconds, is just showing a, a stream in a forest. Wow. And letting yeah. you kind of like reset before going back into the story. It's interesting what you say because if you watch films on World War II there's always like a sense of purpose about them but with this and I've seen other, I haven't seen this version but I've seen other versions of All Quiet in the Western Front there's no sense of purpose just a grindhouse. Yeah it's pointless big finale is that they're set on a you know not to spoil anything but if you don't know what the story is by now no, I believe they've changed the ending of the book, though. It's a little bit different. Yeah. You know, within 15 minutes of the war ending, everything comes to a head. And it's just like, it's it's so pointless. You're hoping that no one dies on any side. Every person on screen that you see getting killed, every soldier, you feel just horrible for every single one of them. Wow. Because everything's so dumb. Oh, that's another one I've got to add to my list now to watch. And everybody I know who's seen it is raving about this film. Uh, so I've seen the 1932 version, I've seen the 1979 version. I haven't seen this, so I'll have to check this out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it keeps coming up on my Netflix recommends yeah. for you right. section. So Netflix has had some pretty good films this year. Um, before Pinocchio, 
Uh, before I'd watched Pinocchio and the other one, I was going to have the Sea Beast on. That's on my list from what you've said before. I've listened to the scores. Scores, tremendous. Yeah, it's a really, really solid animated film. And it's yeah. better than anything I've seen from Disney this year or last year. Uh, I went to see Strange World. Don't talk to me about how bad Disney has got because I couldn't believe. Honestly, it's so politically correct, even the pet is disabled. <laughs> oh, Lord. I mean, uh, it's just shocking. I was so disappointed. Elijah, that's a great group of movies. Maybe we wish you and your family a happy and prosperous 2023 and look forward to some upcoming rambles and some retrospective, it's been too long, all coming very shortly in 2023. Elijah, all the best to you and your family. You guys too. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Cheers. Cheers, Elijah. Looking forward to more rambles in the new year. Now, recently, Declan popped into the studio to record his carry-on Christmas streaming recommendations, which is now available. And he also gave us his top five of the year. Over to you, Deck. And now we go to our next contributor with their top five. Hello, Deck. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Your top five in reverse order. I can't wait for this after some of the ones I've heard. <laughs> uh, it's been an interesting year, 2022. But the, the, I think the most interesting thing this year is I found it very easy to pick my top five. Now, I don't know whether that's because there was less good yeah. quality films than previous years. In previous years, I've really had to struggle to figure out which ones I put in the five and in which position. But I actually, I think I did this in about five minutes it was just so obvious and it, and it hasn't really changed it's not one of those lists where you think oh maybe the next day maybe i should swap those around i found they were just right so starting in fifth place this is one that probably not many people will have seen or even heard of an irish gaelic language film called the quiet girl and i thought it was uh, phenomenal it's on my list that one for strangely enough but i went to irish in my top five according <sighs> to jeff yeah. Very Irish in your top five. Oh. A very rare film, actually, in the Gaelic language. But What's that I one about? A girl gets left, so the mother isn't coping with yes. a daughter, and she sort of drops her off at her auntie's, I think it is, or a friend of the family. I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember exactly. It was a, quite a while ago I saw it. To sort of spend a couple of weeks with her or the holiday with her. I, I don't want to give too much away, but they sort of bond, and mm. it's just very moving. And what I think makes probably all of these five films stand out is the endings. Because I think, to me, an ending makes a film. You can really enjoy a film, and then the last mm -hmm. ten minutes can ruin it for you. And I found with all my top five, I love the endings. And this one, oh, my gosh, the ending of this, just I can still just see it now vividly. And mm -hmm. I, it was just a fantastic shot, fantastic emotion, um, and, a, and just wow. a, a great way to finish a film. Okay, well, that's uh, one for the list. Good job, Graham didn't see it. That'll complete out his top five fully <laughs> Irish. <laughs> number four. So, number four is another foreign film. Uh, it's a Norwegian film that won lots of awards uh, earlier this year. It's The Worst Person in the World. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. It did get lots of nominations and lots of awards. Mainly, I think the award was won uh, by the actress, the main actress that's the star of the film. But I really liked the way it was shot, and I really liked the way... They use some unusual techniques in the film to display how she's feeling and stuff. And as the title suggests, she isn't the nicest person. It's an interesting one because you don't warm to her. She's quite a 
sort of selfish person. You don't warm to her, but you warm to the film and her performance. And I'll be really interested to see uh, what else the director does in the future because I think they've got an eye for it. They've got an eye for being slightly different but but captivating the audience. So I really enjoyed that. But it won't be everyone's cup of tea, I'm sure. One for you, Neil. Mm. Obviously, foreign language, not that title. <laughs> um, number three is my only big blockbuster that made it into the top five. And it might be an element of uh, it was one of the first big ones after the sort of uh, horrible years of the pandemic. But like most people I've spoken to, I absolutely loved Top Gun Maverick. Um, <laughs> yeah. found it was fun, fun, fun. And it was what cinema was almost made for. Don't watch it on a telly. There's no point. You've got to see this in the cinema. Yeah. And it was a, a mixture of nostalgia, of, of reliving the, the first film again almost because there's not much differences in it. And it's silly, yes, exactly as the first one is. It's silly in places and you, you, you have to escape realism at times. But wow. And, and, and again, like the first one, the filming of the planes and the, the stunts and everything are incredible. I just loved it from beginning to end. And I just came out smiling. Yeah, I think it's funny. I never warmed to the first one when it came out. Yes, I I enjoyed it, but this had everything. It had strong characters, good action. The beats were good. Yeah, tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I assume it is appearing in a lot of people's top five. I'm, yeah, I probably yeah. Okay, so you might be thinking, what two films possibly could beat Top Gun Maverick? The number two is Banshees of In Inisherin. Um, this and 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 looking at the recent golden globe results they obviously think the same as me i just thought there was nothing wrong with this film i just thought everything about it from the the acting the script the the direction the music i couldn't find any faults with it i just loved it and i loved the the pacing of the movie it was just perfect and i assume you guys have all seen it yeah Um, yeah so i've got a theory and i don't know but maybe um Graham probably knows more than this. Do you think it's a story about the troubles in Ireland? Yes. Yeah. It is. Yes. It's, it's, okay. Sorry. The troubles. The troubles. And yeah, how one-minute friends, one friends can be friends, and then suddenly, due to something else, they're suddenly enemies. It's, like, and it's, it's, about, the, it's about the formation of the Northern Ireland state and the, the separation of the country into two bits, and, yeah, and the horrors that emerged from that and are still emerging from that, yeah. It's yeah. um, it's an allegory and it's a great story as well. Wonderful so, film. What could possibly number one? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, number one for me is a quirky little film uh, that, again, put a big smile on my face. It's very British. It's very me. Uh, Brian and Childs. Oh, yes. Yeah. I absolutely I love loved that. Brian and Childs. Um, it's a bit weird. It's a bit cool. It's yeah, certainly very uh, weird. It's hilarious. And... I loved it. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I'd expect a lot of people probably won't love it. I'm not saying it's not one of the ones in my top five that I would say everyone must go and watch. But if you like things a bit odd and a bit sort of very dry humor, then yeah. um, see Brian and Charles. Yeah, it, uh, I had it at number 14 in my top 20. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And again, very odd. And, and just from the very first shot, you think, what's going on here? <laughs> Is this a, did they film this for twenty five pounds? You know, it looks so. And then it, <laughs> it's an inventor who makes himself a robot. Yes, and okay. It's so British, yeah. Charles. It's very, yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's very Wallace and Gromit in places. 
Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll definitely check that I'll out. Watch then. that one. Then. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. So I know my list is probably a bit off the beaten track. I understand that. Mm-hmm. That's that's. I mean, you, you may have worked it out from previous listeners to this podcast that mm-hmm. I tend to prefer things that are a bit odder and a bit sort of independent, a bit away from the mainstream. Can I make a special mention? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Go on. Okay. I'm making a special mention because this isn't actually a cinematic film. But I went to see one of the NTL Live shows at a cinema. Oh, and okay. I recommend if, if people can't, you know, I, I presume that the, the theatre show isn't running anymore. But if you capture this or if you happen to be a member of NTL Live, because you can buy the streaming service and watch it, is I recommend everyone watch Prima Fassi starring Jodie Comer. It's a one person play. It's just her. And it is incredible. And it is one of the best performances and as a man especially i think you should watch it i think every every man should watch it the world would be a better place i think if men watch it and understand the female side of things and i thought it was incredible absolutely incredible blew me away i did, i couldn't put it in my top five officially because it's not really a, a film as such it's a film of a play okay honorable mention well that's brilliant Thank you very much, Dick. That's and, all right. Uh, I found that so easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, have a very happy New Year, and thank you for contributing to our New Year's Eve special podcast. I look forward to listening to the other choices. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. There's a few surprises in there. All right. Thank you. Right. Cheers. Thanks, Dick. Yeah. Cheers, Dick. Thanks, Dick. And finally, from our special guest, we go to BBC reporter and Star Wars fan Steve Nibbs for his top five and his views on Star Wars TV shows which have aired this year. Now, it's always a pleasure to welcome Steve Nibbs to the show. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Uh, Very well, thanks, Jeff. Hi, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. So, Steve, it's been another crazy year. What of all that you've reported on has stood out for you as one of the most positive stories of the year? Oh, that's a really difficult question. I mean, we've done, you know, over a hundred odd stories this year. It's been pretty intense. We've had Ukraine to deal with. We've had the passing of the Queen, obviously. I've just come back from a trip to France where we've been following some uh, Royal Marines who have been recreating the route of a famous World War II mission, Operation Frankton. So we've had some really, really great stuff to report on in terms of news. In terms of positive stories, there's one that sticks in my mind, actually. And, you know, we've had so much about community in the last couple of years with the pandemic and things like that. But there's an amazing woman in Gloucester, Tash, who sets up these, these rainbow streets where she gets everybody to paint their houses in bright colors. And she's been doing it for a few years and it's been a big project of hers. And we we followed that one actually for a couple of days in the centre of Gloucester. The sense of community that that brought and the smiles on people's faces that it brought, that just really sticks in my mind that as we were filming, people were stopping and saying, this is great, this is brilliant, you know, you've brightened up the houses, you know, and, it, and it's neighbours who'd never spoken to each other started to talk to each other again. So it may not be the sort of most positive story, you know, ever, but in terms of one that sort of sticks in my mind of sort of making a difference, that was it really. We've had fun doing stories about the Great British Bake Off musical that came to the Everyman. That was that was really good fun. 
the couple that won 184 million on the Euro Millions back in May this year. That was a really positive story to tell. They, you know, I remember interviewing them and they just still look shell shocked. So that was quite good fun. As you, as you would <laughs> that do. Was really good, that was really good fun. And then a highlight for me, it always is, you know, I was lucky enough to go and work at Glastonbury again this year. So in terms of a, a positive story for me personally, being a big music fan, that was absolutely brilliant and exhausting in equal measure. Was that reporting or actually playing a set there? Just reporting. Okay. <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love to think it was playing a set. Yeah, we, um, part of the BBC News and Points West team, we're based right next to the um, pyramid stage. It's quite an interesting oh, spot right. to be. Oh, yeah. um, and my scoop, this, I'm really proud of this. If you've got time, I'll tell you the story. Because I'm a Gloucestershire reporter and I'd sort of gone to Somerset to infiltrate uh, Glastonbury. Most of my contacts, obviously, from Gloucestershire. So the, we wanted, I was asked to do a story on, you know, what, what, how do people feel about coming back to Glastonbury? I said, well, half of Stroud runs the acoustic tent. You know, both of the people backstage are from Stroud. So went in, spoke to a few people up there. And uh, one of my good contacts, Mars and Lottie, who run the Prince Albert at Robborough, Mars said to me, you've got to speak to Chris on the pyramid stage. I said, well, who's Chris? Oh, he's the DJ. He's been doing the DJing on the stage for 40 years. Went, what? And he works in Stroud Job Centre. So I said, oh, hold wow. on a second. Chris from Stroud Job Centre is the DJ on the pyramid stage. He's never been interviewed. We tracked him down. Really, really lovely guy. Did a great interview with him. The interview's on my YouTube channel. He ended up on Five Live, the news channel. You know, everybody was 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 interviewing him in the end. And the, I asked him, I said, do you do you always do the, the, the intro music to all of the big acts? He said, well, you know, not all of them. Some have got their own playlist. He said, but I'll tell you the interesting one I did. I did open up for Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just absolute gold dust, and uh, yeah. So you can you can watch that interview, and uh, you're a really lovely guy. And next year is his fortieth year, so the fortieth year would have done it, and we'll go back hopefully. I suppose as a positive story, that was quite that's quite a scoop. Excellent. And yeah. and what is your YouTube channel? What's it called? If you just search for Steve Nibs BBC on YouTube. Yep. Or there's a link on my Twitter account. Uh, it comes up on there. It's, I think it's Points West Gloucestershire or something. You can send yourself to sleep. There's plenty of videos on there to watch. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that's in our show notes as well. Well, talking of music and sets, I mean, this is early on New Year's Eve. You're going to be, I understand, doing your um, disco show later on today. Excellent, Jeff. Yeah, I like the segue there. Thanks very much. Yeah, um, I've been doing Disco Paradise on uh, local radio in the West for over 10 years now. As as you well know, Jeff, Disco is one of my big music passions. Love it. Yeah, tonight, 10 till 1, I will be on the radio, on Radio Gloucestershire and Radio Bristol and Radio Wiltshire uh, to just ease you into 2023 with the best music ever. And, you know, as we know, Jeff, if there's a record, I know you're a big disco fan. If there is a track you'd like me to play, now's your chance to say it. Best of our love, the emotions. Best of my love, the emotions. Best of my, okay, best... I will play that. I'll play right. that for you, Jeff. And, and I'll, you give a, I'll give an honourable mention to Graham because I know he's a big disco fan. Uh, as well. he is. He's got the Travolta <laughs> white suit and everything. <laughs> well, thanks for the plugs. That's brilliant. No, no, you're welcome. So let's chat movies. Yes. So counting down then your top five films of the year, what would you put in position number five? Okay, this this year was a bit easier, actually, because I remember when we did this last year, I, I struggled a bit, but I, I, I did definitely have a top five this year. And the great thing is, I haven't told you guys in advance, but I don't think yeah. you'd be surprised by any of these because they're all great films. Operation Mincemeat was Ooh. my number five. Yeah. And this was a film that I, did, I knew nothing about the operation, and I saw a trailer just by chance on YouTube one day, I think a few months before the film came out. And it just completely grabbed me. We went to see it and it was just, what a great film. Really yeah. simple. Tells a great story that is obviously based on a, a real mission. 
I've just found it really, really gripping. An amazing, an amazing film. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't know that was true, you'd think this is just too far-fetched for fiction. Yeah, you would. I think that was the whole point of it, wasn't it? They thought the Germans are saying, well, this has to be true because nobody would dream this up. It's so crazy, yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's just one of those compelling stories that, and I, th- I thought the, the scripting was good, the production value was brilliant, the design was fantastic, the acting was second to none. Just one of those films that I think I could watch over and over again, just wait for it to come on streaming and, and I'll, I'll give it another go. But just, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And it's just one of those ones where you come out of the cinema and you go, yeah, I've really been entertained. And I think that's, for me, that's a really important thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great movie. Well, let's see what number four is after that. So number four is one that I watched with my daughter a couple of weeks ago. We've been saving it up and uh, was 13 Lives, which is, again, based on a true story about this rescue mission in Thailand. I mean, it's a story, isn't it, that we all obviously know and we followed intently when that football team were caught in the caves in Thailand. And you wonder how can they make a film about that without it being sensationalist and being over the top. But I tell you what, me, my daughter is only sixteen. She was looking at it behind the uh, behind the, the blanket. You know, it was it, the way they filmed it was just incredible. It was it was terrifying and exhilarating in, in equal measure. And to see what those guys went through to get those kids out of there was just incredible. And you know, classic Ron Howard as well, really getting in yeah. there with the camera, really close up cinematography great direction i struggled about whether i should put that a bit higher up the list actually but uh yeah for me do i want to change it no no i'll leave that at number four it's it is just a great film (laughs) i tried to watch that with my wife but she's got terrible claustrophobia and it was just no 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 can't do this (laughs) yeah you can cure her of that with a film called the descent no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> no, I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and monsters. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but have you seen it, Graham? Uh, yes, I've seen it, and I thought it was yeah. extremely well done. Yes, yeah. yeah it's terrific, isn't it? it yeah, absolutely uh, terrific. Yes, and, and it's just that constant sense of dread. You know, mm. Oh, no, oh, no. And then something else happens. You're going, oh, no, this is worse, this is worse. Yeah, it's very well done. Ron Howard, yeah. Um, I loved his uh, similar thing in Apollo 13, um, mm. where he gets that constant sense of dread and you think, oh, no, something else has gone wrong. And he used that technique again, really back on earth, but the same effect, that creeping dread. And you think, just get him out, just get him out. <laughs> and I think that's the thing, you know, for me, I'd forgotten how long it, it, it yes. takes to get those boys mm. out. And the film is, I mean, it's got to be, two and a half hours long from memory. And you just get that sense that it is taking so long and so long. And that moment when they, the two British guys pop up and, uh, you know, they see the guy, the boys for the first time. I mean, you're there, aren't you? It's just incredible. I've been meaning to watch it. That's put it in my list. Number three then, Steve. Number three, I've just looked at it. Just looked at my list. Actually, there's an actor that is going through all of these uh, films because he was, he was in 13 lives and he's also in my number three, which is the Batman. Oh, now, yeah. I, uh, as you know, I'm a big Marvel fan. We've talked yeah. about that before. DC have not done it particularly well in, in recent years, but the Batman franchise is something that I've always, always loved. The Dark Knight trilogy was just, I think, you know, just an incredible few films with uh, Christopher Nolan. And uh, But this one, you know, lots of anticipation, a lot of pressure on Robert Patterson to, to do the, uh, to take over that, that league. I thought it was brilliant. 
me and my wife went to watch it, the cinema in Cheltenham. And, you know, we just came out and we went, yeah, it was dark. It was everything we wanted. Cinematography again was wonderful. The the way that Gotham looked was exactly how you wanted it to be. And I quite liked what Patterson had done with Batman, actually, that sort of vulnerability yes. um, and that sort of, sort of anguished child persona. So there, it was, it was really good. And yeah, he was a very cool Batman. Yeah. Brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, it reflects so much about um, the paranoia of our times, the corruption that can, that goes on in certain quarters, the violence that's underneath of it all. And at the end, without spoiling it, Pattinson's realization that everything he's been doing up to that point has been misinterpreted. Yes. Yeah. And, and I thought, yeah, yeah, incredible. And shout out to Michael Giacchino's music. I thought it's an incredible music score. Yeah, absolutely. But no, you're right. It, the, the narrative throughout the whole film was really gripping because, you know, sometimes you, you get excited about a film and actually the narrative lets you down. But this yeah. one, yeah, it spoke volumes, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And the and- Riddler was such a great villain as well. And yeah, really a, a different spin on the Riddler as well. I think on the Blu-ray DVD, there's a, a deleted scene involving another villain. Yeah. Oh, is there? Yeah, it's well worth a look at. Oh, right. Top that one then. You, you obviously know what my number two is. You say top that, it's Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> Very, good, Very good. The master of the Segway. Yeah. He's very good at this. I'm <laughs> unashamedly uh, a big fan of this film. Love the original film, obviously, like everybody. And a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, we had a sniff that Tom Cruise was going to launch the new film at the Air Tattoo at Aria Fairford in 2020, whenever that was. So we all, you know, we sort of knew that this might be happening. And we're very disappointed when, for many reasons about the pandemic, there are lots of reasons why we're disappointed about that, but it, it never happened. So, so I was a little bit invested in the film anyway. I've been following the production of it for a while. The trailer just absolutely blew you away. I watched the behind the scenes about how they did the cinematography. Yes. I'm quite geeky like that. The cameras in the cockpits, they were really in the planes for the majority of the film. And then when I watched the film, Again, me and my wife came out, we went, that just gave us everything we wanted. We wanted it to be cheesy. We wanted amazing dogfights. We wanted Tom Cruise to be Tom Cruise without, it's difficult to not talk to talk about it without spoilers, but that, that moment that happens when you think that something has happened and then it hasn't. Yes. It was just brilliant. I, I almost wanted to cheer in the cinema. It's like, yay! Uh, <laughs> I, I, got, I got sort of a bit American, but um, no, it was just, it was brilliant. And I was almost tempted to go and see it in 4DX again, but <laughs> that would have been pushing Oof. it a bit too far. But I know that not, not everybody liked it. They thought it was a bit too cheesy, a bit too American. But do you know what? That was the film that I wanted. I needed that sort of unashamed, um, everything's going to be all right film. Not us, we loved it. Uh, it. It features high in our charts as well. Yes. I liked the first one, but I felt it was lacking something. I didn't think that with this film, I thought the characterizations were strong, building up to a brilliant action sequence at the end. It's great, isn't it? So no, the, the whole thing was, was just phenomenal. And apparently it was, there was only two of the actors that weren't sick in the cockpits when they were flying <laughs> uh, around. And uh, Tom Cruise was one of them. What a surprise. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. But that's the thing, when you look at the film, have you seen the behind the scenes of yes, how they, yes. they did it? I mean, it's just phenomenal six IMAX cameras in the back of these American fighter jets we're just spoiled aren't we we've we've gone through an age of where CGI is just incredible and you know what they can recreate on the screen is brilliant but here they weren't using CGI they're using technology to get stuff in camera and 
I had a different perception of the film watching that, knowing that this was real action and knowing that they were probably throwing up just beforehand and the actors were controlling the cameras and all of that. It was just visually, it was incredible. Watched it in the IMAX, which was the only way I think to see it. Just brilliant. Just brilliant. Some great choices, Steve. I can't wait to find out what's number one. It's not a Marvel film. Um, <laughs> a bit disappointed with Marvel this year, but maybe we'll come on to that later. Yeah. Um, so this was a film that we hadn't really heard a lot about. Went to see it on spec and came out feeling that we'd experienced something really special. And by the um, Golden Globe nominations recently, I think we were right. It's the Banshees of Inisherin. Oh. I mean, I'm almost tingling talking about it because... Yeah. Um, I've got Irish family, so yeah. I'm a little bit invested in that. And we just didn't know what to expect. We had a night off. We had a, a voucher for the cinema, and we were looking what was on. I don't think, you know, we hadn't really heard a lot about that. Colin Fowler, you know, good team. We loved in Bruges. You know, it'd be nice yeah. to see what they're doing again. Knew nothing about it. And then that that sort of bang right at the start of the film, we go, okay, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And then the pace of it all the way through, there was no – I don't know. I can't remember how long the film was. But the storytelling, the scripting, the the way the film breathed, there was no rushing. I mean, very Irish in a way. Yes, yes. Nobody was rushing. And it was just brilliant. It's difficult to put into words what I loved about it so much, but everything was perfect. It looked beautiful. The acting was incredible. The script writing was just sublime. Yeah. And we came out and we told everybody that would listen to us to go and watch it. I just think it's bit of a film of a generation for me i think yes i think so yes and and as you say about the pacing everybody walks and the the most exciting bit is when they get on a donkey cart yeah. <laughs> that's about as quick as it <laughs> get gets there a bit quicker but it's just the interplay between the two main characters and and the whole community there and just the weirdness of it all. It's just fabulous. Yeah. Absolutely. Fabulous. And again, against the backdrop of the, you know, they're on an island off the coast of Ireland with the with the civil war going on, you know, the other side. And the isolation of it and, you know, the the the, the big wide shots where you see the pub and you see the cottages. And I mean, I want to go for a pint in that pub, but apparently it was built for the film and has now been knocked down, which is a shame. Um, it just spoke of this isolated community where the same thing happened every day and it has done for decades and decades until, for those people that haven't seen it, until that thing changes. And we cried, we laughed, mm. we mm. almost cheered again. Just brilliant. And again, the constant in that. So, you know, Colin Farrell was in 13 Lives, he was in The Batman, and he was in this. So maybe he's my actor of the year as well. <laughs> yeah. Good point, yeah. Uh, apparently when he was in the Batman, he went out uh, around the streets in his penguin makeup and nobody recognised him. <laughs> well, I didn't know it was him until I read the credits, actually. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah Banshee's finishing really good film. I mean, for me, it went from Father Ted to Saw. You know, it, it just... <laughs> That's a very good way of describing it. Yeah. And uh, there was a point, I, I said it when we did a review on the film, I said, I really enjoyed it, but there was a point two-thirds of the way through, where I felt, I don't know if I can watch the end of this, because I've invested so much in the characters and it goes yes. dark. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I felt very, very uncomfortable watching it. But it is a great, great film. That's really yeah. interesting, because one of my other friends that saw it said exactly the same thing, that it just went too dark too quickly. For me, I love that. I, I you know, <laughs> obviously we can't talk about what happens for people that haven't seen it, but that thing that happens. My yeah. wife had gone to the loo quickly. And when she came back, she went, 
has anything happened? <laughs> I said, well, funny you should say that. You know, towards, you know, it's such a long film, the slow pace, yeah. the one time she had to leave. Yeah. I can see why you said that, Jeff. I think for me, that was the strength of the film because you, yeah. were, you were completely caught off guard. And then obviously it gets worse from there. But yeah, I, it's, I'm smiling talking about it because I, I want to go and watch it again. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I believe it's uh, coming on Disney Plus very shortly. Oh, is yeah. it really? Yes. Blimey, yeah. that's quick, isn't it? Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they've got um, they've they've got all the the rights for that one. Brilliant. Final word on that. I am really glad that we talk about. Obviously, we talk about the darkness. And we're not going to mention what it is, but I'm so glad it happens off screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, it, I think it's that, it's that it's that thing, isn't it? They say it's more what you don't see that screws yes. you up than what yes. you do see. Yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, it was. And uh, for those that are yet to see it, all kudos to the donkey. Yes. <laughs> the wee donkey. Yeah, The wee donkey, yeah. yeah. So that's a, a fantastic five. Thank you very much. And I, I just want to go back to your remark about Marvel was disappointing for you this year, because we felt the same. Mm. A bit scattergun this year. It was. I was really disappointed with Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah. I think mm. um, Ragnarok... Taika Waititi's Ragnarok was just brilliant and you expected it to be the same and it felt rushed and the script wasn't very good, in my opinion. Doctor Strange was obviously the follow-on from... WandaVision. Uh, WandaVision, thanks very much. Yeah. And I I, mean, I did not not enjoy that. It was great. It just still... I was saying to somebody the other day, have we been spoiled by Marvel being so good for so long? Yes. And were, you know, were the Avengers films in you know, Endgame, was that the peak? And I worry that it might be. But it's still, I still go and see them, and I love the characters. Just hasn't been yeah. cinematically the year. However, really enjoyed the Disney Plus series. They were all brilliant. I thought the Loki one was that was the weak one in my opinion. But I quite enjoyed She Hulk actually. I don't yeah, know if you've seen that. She-Hulk, mainly for her, she is yeah, a great she was actress. Great. Very funny. So Very I think funny. the TV series have been have been fine, but um, yeah, cinematically on the big screen, not quite for me yet. I'm an optimist. I'll always be there for them. I, I think what they're lacking in this phase that they're going through is a strong villain. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. and this talk, when the new phase starts with the Ant-Man film coming in early 2023, they're bringing in somebody called Kang. Now, I hand over to you guys because I've no idea what that is. Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. Kang, the Kang the Conqueror. I don't know much about Kang the Conqueror either, but, um, yeah, we do need – it does need a freshen up. Um, yes. And I, I think you're right about the villain because you know, we had Thanos, who was probably one of the greatest villains in recent years. Uh, I don't know, um, Graham. What do you think? What's your? Do you have hope? My problem this year has been that it just seems to lack structure and tightness, and the scripts have been a bit flabby. And mm. you know, the multiverse is a big concept, and they just seem to be throwing stuff at the multiverse. You know, the Spider-Man yeah. was okay. The yeah, Homecoming started the multiverse, and I enjoyed that one with the, the three other uh, Spider-Men. I thought that was uh, – sorry, two other Spider-Men. I thought that was really good. But it just feels like Kevin Feige's taken his eye off the ball a bit, and he needs to get back in the writer's room and say, no, that doesn't work. That needs to be tightened up. That needs to be improved. And everybody's going on, oh, they've got these – they're almost three hours, most of these films. Well, that's – they need to be two hours, you know, they need to tighten it up on time as well. Cause yeah. they do get a bit flabby in the middle, all of them. 
Yeah, I understand. I mean, Spider-Man was on my sort of honourable mentions list below the five. I I really enjoyed that. But um, yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed for next year. Yes, I I think he will get get back in the writer's room and we'll get some good stuff. So we couldn't let you go, Steve, without a quick mention of the Star Wars TV shows this year. Any of them stood out for you? Uh, For me, I was thinking about this because I thought you'd ask me. I mean, I think Andor... Yes. It's been a real surprise for me because it was so slow when it first started. I thought, I'm not sure, but I really fell into it and fell in love with it. I've just last week, because I've just got back from France, watched the last one. And I just thought, you know, I love the Mandalorian. Boba Fett went a bit weird, turned into the Mandalorian. And all for me was the, was the one I wanted. I thought they just really got it right. I love the character. I love the pace of it. It was all, it was more like a sort of a a thriller than than a yes. Star Wars story. Diego Luna was brilliant. Again, you want it to look and feel like Star Wars. It absolutely did, but it felt very different as well. And I hope there's a, a season two because I I like more of it. I thought it was the best Star Wars TV series I, I'd seen. It was very adult, very grown up. I loved the pe- mm. the bit they did in the jail, the sort of yeah. the detention center, and then you see at the end what they're actually making and that was just like a massive payoff for me yeah. i thought that was great and all the characters were just so good including the little droid yes little, brilliant. he was so good and his loyalty to his mistress and all of that was just absolutely brilliant absolutely okay brilliant. What, what about obi-wan kenobi i see you two are skirting around this one <laughs> Well, no, I think, I mean, Obi-Wan, again, that was the one that we've all been waiting for that one, haven't we? Yeah. And I was a bit unsure whether they should have put Vader in it because it didn't really fit with the narrative from the 70s films, but then you can get a bit tied up in geekiness mm. around that. I loved the lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and Vader at the, in the last episode, I think it was. It just took a while to get going. I just think for me, you know, that I want season two of that. Now that Obi-Wan's back to who we think yes. he is, you know, yeah. you want season two of that. So for me, it was great. It looked brilliant. I loved all the throwbacks to see Owen Lars and Aunt Beru again in the, you know, where they lived. I think it's great. Just wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. Having, I mean, it's a shame that we talk about this. It's easiest for, for us to be negative. I mean, it took the team behind it, you know, millions of dollars and lots of effort, and they're very proud of it. And it, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't It wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. But that lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and Vader was, was stunning. So, yeah, kudos for that. Well, thank you very much, Steve. And uh, good luck with the show later on, which I'm sure you won't need it. We, we will Thanks, certainly Jeff. be listening. Well, it'll and... be available on BBC Sounds for 24 for a month afterwards. So if you miss oh, it, right. you can tune in any time of day or night. Brilliant. And may <laughs> you and your family have a peaceful and prosperous new year. And to you, I look forward to speaking to you both soon. Yep, thank disco movies coming soon. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. And now we go to our team for their individual top fives. So that there is no fighting as to who goes first, it is going to be in alphabetical order, which means Darren goes first. <laughs> which means I'm going to have a fight with you all, because that means I go last. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Phil, you should know if I organised this, Neil would always be last. <laughs> Everyone will be on tenderhooks wondering if Neil actually saw five films this no. year. Six. Six, Six, is it? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's start with the team's top five and let's go over for Darren. 
for his top five films of 2022. Hello, Darren. Hi. What have you got as number five? Well, this is probably a bit of a um, uh, an out an outgoing one here. Um, my number five is actually Clerks Three, uh, which I was lucky enough to live near a cinema that showed it. It had a very limited release. Even though I was a massive fan of the uh, the first Clerks movie, and I quite liked the second one, I wasn't really sort of that excited about a third movie. I, I didn't really see if it was you know was it really one that needed to be made. What I didn't count on is that this was such a very, very personal film because the film really all about Kevin Smith's uh, near death due to a heart attack a few years back. And, you know, the story of this film is that Randall, one of the characters in Clerk, survives a heart attack and he realises that afterwards he wants to leave a mark on the world. He's coasted through life and he decides he wants to make a film. And the film that he makes is the story of the first film, Clerks. So you've got this meta or really fan-pleasing or self-indulgent, whichever point of view you want to take, uh, homage to the first movie. And it's, you go through him remaking Clerks, full of in-jokes. It's got loads and loads of cameos throughout. If you're a fan of the first film, you will really sort of get a kick out of this. But what really got me about this movie and why okay. it was one of my favourites is this was the most emotional I got watching the film all, all year. You know, it's a story all about grief and, and mortality. There, there is a character who is in the second film who dies before the, the, this film in the most horrible circumstances. The final act of, of this, there's a term that takes on later in the film that absolutely broke me. I'm, I'm not going to go into too, too much details. But the fact of the matter is, in the final that I was absolutely crying my eyes out in the cinema. It, it really affected me. And there is a line that's iconic in, in Clerks fandom. It's almost like you know, the tagline of the first Clerks movie that is said in here in such a way that even now thinking about it, it gets a lump in my throat. It's just so incredibly moving and uh, emotional. And, and I think that is why it struck such a chord with me. No, no film really emotionally affected me like this. In the closing credits, Kevin Spieth actually does a little voiceover where he's talking to the audience about why he made the film and everything, but just really cements it. And this was just one that really struck a chord with me, and it, it was one that I had to put in my top five. Wow. Well, I had sort of dismissed this film. It's now back on the list of something to watch. Thank you, Darren. Okay. Well, you've changed my opinion. What have you got at number four? Okay, so for number four, uh, this was a late edition, and I'm always a little wary of putting films in that I've seen late late in the year. This one just had to go in there, and it's called The Menu. And I absolutely loved this film. For, for the fact, it's, it's a dark comedy. It's very subversive. It's also got a very anti-rich satirism to it, which I absolutely enjoyed. I mean, who doesn't love the um, the rich and the uh, the academics and the upper classes sort of getting getting theirs? It, it was such a, a great f- film. I mean, if you if you've not seen it, but the, the, the quick plot is that a bunch of various rich peoples, uh, including celebrities, politicians, food critics, um, are invited to an exclusive gourmet evening on this private island of this eccentric, famous chef. And amongst them is a young girl who is actually, um, she's a late repa- replacement as the date for a really pretentious food, which throws in all sorts of problems. 
things start off at this meal really weird. It's delivered in almost like a performance style by the, by the chef. But things get more and more sinister as the as its course is, is laid out. And if you saw the trailer for this film, you'd, you'd be forgiven for thinking that this was kind of like a ready or not or the hunt style movie. It's not that at all. It's actually a really far more interesting and compelling and disturbing movie. But it is really funny. It satirises like, you know, your pretentious food critics and, and you, you know, your sort of upper classes who see everything in sort of in money terms and, and not what sort of like, you know, what not the actual sort of, you know, the, the essence of things are. I've got to say, Ranulph Fiennes was absolutely wonderful in this film. It was really charismatic it, it was weird it was absolutely chilling but it was also really weirdly realistic as as well i mean i i'm not very good at predicting who should get um award nominations or things like that but personally his performance in there was something i've not seen all, all year I, I thought it was it made a great i wouldn't say a villain but a bit of anti-hero but and, and anna taylor joy was in there she's always you know completely watchable so dark so, so original and you know just just a really wonderful movie this one i actually came out with a big smile on my face i love this one that's still on at some of our local cinemas so i'm going to try and get to see that now but as the wimp of the team uh how scary is it is it just blood and gore it's not really no okay because it it's got this horror it's got a horror tag and it but it's more so i, I thought it was more suspense yeah. And, and the possibility that things would would okay, get so perfect. Some people have compared it to that um, that cannibal film Raw, and I don't think it's like that at all. It's it's not like a it's if you're okay with something, may, maybe sort of going Silence of the Lambsy a bit. Give it a go on streaming because then you can always turn it off, and then um, you know if it sort of, if it gets too much. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The vibe it gave me, and I haven't seen it, but I, I now really want to see it is the comic strip episode, Eat the Rich. Oh, yes. Which is way back in the 80s. Yeah, it doesn't go in that all-out direction that you're saying. Okay. That's definitely now back on the list, So, and it's still on in the cinema, so I'm going to go watch that. Well, number three, then. Okay, so uh, number three was was Bell. I think this was one of the only um, animated films that uh, I saw this year at the, uh, the cinema, and it was absolutely spectacular. Uh, I think the problem with animation nowadays is that you sort of see stuff like what Disney and Pixar do, and it's it's all really impressive, but it's got to that stage where it's all sort of like, you know, the same. You're not surprised how good it all is anymore. And Belle was just absolutely incredible. It, it was just, you know, visually st- stunning. I mean, I saw it in a really large theatre where there was only three of us in the cinema which kind of probably shows you how you know the uh the, you know the the, the the cult popularity of, of anime to be honest when it comes to going to the cinema and, and i was watching and i was just absolutely sort of blown away by this movie not not just the visuals which were like just sort of stunning but also the music as as well the story of it was that basically a young girl enters this um, social media virtual reality which is like you know the, the new thing where people can go in and adopt any like identity and interact and she takes the form of like a, a pop singer and she becomes this like massive sensation on this on this internet pro to refer in the real world people are wondering who is Belle who is this like you know amazing 
person. And she develops this Beauty and the Beast art relationship with a guy who is basically effectively uh, an internet troll, who is so rageful, he's become this sort of complete monster that's just destroying everything. And there, there are tons of commentary on today's media-obsessed society, but the real story really gets its bite when it actually switches to the, to the real-world personas of who the two people are who are behind these characters. And it takes a really dark storyline switch. I absolutely thought this film was uh, amazing. I couldn't know which direction it was going to be in. Like I say, just for spectacle of it all alone, it's a beautiful movie. The music as well was absolutely stunning. It, even though it was like, you know, sort of like a, you know, a, a foreign language, you know, but, but just these like, you know, really sort of catchy pop tunes that just felt authentic, the sort of things that, you know, would be like, you know, complete hits. But I, I, I thought this, this film was one that just, I thought was absolutely incredible. And another one for the list. Thank you, yeah, Darren. That's, that's already on my list. Yeah, I've yeah got that one. three for three and I haven't seen any of them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I must have seen at least one of these. Number your number two film. Okay, so um, number two is Everything Everywhere All at One. At the, at the start of this year, when we did our most an, uh, anticipated picks, this was one of the ones that I um, I, I picked. I I saw the first trailer of it with Michelle Yeoh. I'm a big Michelle Yeoh fan, any anyway. And I saw this this trailer that just it just looked like something I've not seen before. It it just gripped me. I thought this this is going to be really exciting, especially you know because she's doing martial arts in in this film again. I was really up for it. And when I went to see it, I was not disappointed at all. You know, it's too complicated a story to 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 go to go through. Uh, it's bit, uh, but suffice to say, it's like multiverse of madness for grown ups. I don't think I've I've seen a movie in ages that just sort of went. So, so far that had so much variety in it from one scene to the next the fight scenes in it rivaled any blockbuster that, that i've seen this year i absolutely loved this movie well another powerful pick so now we come to the top slot what have you got my top film of uh, 2022 is top gun maverick <laughs> now when they said that they were going to do a sequel to Top Gun. I will hold my hands up. I'm one of the people who, for, for a moment, groaned and rolled their eyes because we're so used now to yep. this nostalgia mining sequel bait that Hollywood do now. But sometimes when they actually sort of, you know, put the passion in and put, the, you know, put, you know do them right, they, they work. And the moment that I saw the first, just the first trailer, and they just played that music, and you saw Tom Cruise there with, with the Maverick helmet. Uh, I, I couldn't help myself; I was on board. The thing I loved about this film, uh, and why, why it's my, my number one, is I think this is the only film of 2022 that I would say felt like an event movie. It was the only one that I was counting down the days for it to coming out. It was you know one of the few ones where. When the road to work came up, I was checking that against the cinema times to see yeah. what was the first screen I could and what the biggest screen, you know, could I basically, you know, what screen was I going to see it on? Because I wanted to see it on a really big screen. And it was and it was that sort of that thing that I think is kind of getting a little bit lost. That, you know, because I'm a cinema goer. I love going to the movies. I, I, I go as, you know, as much as I can almost every week. But it's kind of like just, just going to see a film. I sort of I miss that sometimes that kind of almost like as if you're going to see a concert like a once in a lifetime concert that mm. real exciting 
time of it. And that's what this film, you know, brought to me. You know, when I sat there in the cinema and the old placard came up, which was almost identical to the one in the first film, and then the music played. I was just like, goosebumps were, were, were on... Uh, uh, goose, uh, goosebumps. Um, <laughs> goosebumps were on <laughs> me. Oh, God, I absolutely loved it. And it was... It was really well made as well. The thing was refreshing as well. It was in this age of CGI and green screen and stuff. This one felt so authentic because you you mm. could tell that they were basically up there for for so much of this film. And the plane sequences, the plane, you know, they, they were sort of you know, for, for as, as far as I'm aware, they, they were you know mostly mostly real. It was just great. It just, it just felt, you know, the, the raw of everything. It, everything just felt like a spectacle. It wasn't remaking the, the wheel or anything. It wasn't trying to do something like massively, massively different. All the emotional story beats in, it's, you can almost basically sort of write this down as one, two, three storytelling. You know, even, even the actual mission was to so simplified in its execution, or, you know, that you understand it. But by the time we got to the mission, I'd sort of gone through it so many times with them that I think I could have flown it, or at least directed it, because I knew exactly all, you know, what <laughs> Careful we were there, there, Darren, careful. <laughs> I, I, I knew what yeah. we were there to do and everything, which I, I think nowadays with a lot of films, you sort of lose track on, why is this guy doing that? Why is that, you know, that? But it all worked. You were gripped by it all. And and I just thought this film, it was the, the power of what a blockbuster and even, a, you know, even a sort of like a, a remake or reboot or, you know, re-managing that you can do. You, you can still do it really well. And, and let's face it, it's featured one of the, probably one of the last movie stars right now, you know. So, yeah, I... Yeah. This was to me. This was cinema. This this was this was properly going to the cinema in in the summer, and it, it, it kind of felt old school because of that. Yeah, and and without a doubt, the action scenes at the end were were, were just incredible, brilliant. Well, you deserve him. Well, that's a cracking top five. Thank you very much, Darren. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me share it. So my top five films of in reverse order in reverse order as always were Three Thousand Years of Longing, which I really enjoyed. It got panned by the critics, and I don't think many people on the on the show liked it, but it really appealed to me. I just thought it was so well done, brilliantly filmed, well put together, clever story, interesting context. And I just liked the combination of Idris Ilba and Tilda Swinton. I just thought they sparked off one another. It was excellent. It was a lot deeper than I, th- I was expecting. I was going in for just some, some sort of interesting genie film, but it turned out to be a lot deeper than I thought. So I thought that was great. At number four, Nightmare Alley, and I waxed lyrical about this when we reviewed it in the show. I just thought it was brilliant. Guillermo del Toro at his finest, really working the camera, the sets, the story, the and the kicker at the end, the really sad and poignant end for a really, really great film. Number three, one from my childhood, Belfast. We spoke about this on the podcast and I had a very, very interesting relationship with this film. It just reminded me so much of my youth, not so much growing up in Belfast and the tanks outside the front door and that sort of thing. So I was a bit outside 
of all of that. But it certainly captured the era, 60s, 70s feel, and uh, all the things going through um, the young boy's head. And I thought the young actor was absolutely brilliant. And then at number two, who'd have believed it? Robert Patterson can act. I was <laughs> stunned. The Batman. He was superb in this. This was such a dark, dark Batman. I thought the Joker was dark, but wow, this was just unbelievably dark. I thought the whole thing was brilliant from beginning to end. I enjoyed it. I've watched it quite a few times since then on video. It's really, really well put together and so well done. I can't wait for the second one. And then finally, at number one, The Banshees of Inishirin, my top film of the year. Just cannot believe how good this was. I just can't wait for it to come out on Blu-ray so I can enjoy it again and sit down with my wife and watch it. It just blew me away. The idea of a sense of isolation and what being isolated on an island can do to you. The strange people that inhabit this island the allegory that it also talks about the um, fragmentation of Ireland in in the 1920s and 30s and uh, Northern Ireland going off on its own. It just captured a complete moment for me, a historical moment for me, and I just loved every single minute of it. Can't wait to watch it again. So that's me. All done. Well, you went all Irish on us there. I went very Irish on you in the two of the last three, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we have some overlap with my top five. So number five, I've also got Nightmare Alley. I really like this dark fantasy from Guillermo del Toro, you know, being a remake of the 1947 film. And there's so much to like about it. The way that, you know, the weather in the film contrasts with everything that's going on on screen, much of it's stormy or snowy when they got the Kate Blanchett sequences. As an ensemble cast, it's fantastic. Although, again, going back to Kate Blanchett, she stands out for me. It's real noir with its double dealings and how character flaws ultimately take you to the darkest of places. Disappointed in its box office, I really thought this one could have been a really strong commercial follow-up for The Shape of Del Toro. But I think the subject matter is very adult and it just didn't connect for whatever reason. But I think it's Another great film from a great director. Fantastic. Uh, number four, I put Bullet Train. And yeah. For me, without question, David Leach is the action director of this generation. <laughs> In essence, what you have with Bullet Train is a Tarantino-esque film, which moves like a title, like a bullet. Uh, there's some brilliant action sequences and some good twists in the plot. But where this is a cut above is the humour. To be honest, once you've seen this film, you'll never see Thomas the Tank Engine in the same way again. (laughs) (laughs) And that double act of Aaron Taylor-Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry is worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, Absolutely fantastic. Um, Even their names were crazy. What are they they called? Tangerine and... uh, Tangerine and Lemonade or something. Lemon and Tangerine. Lemon and Tangerine. Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, and again... Even that's explained towards the end. I think at the moment, a lot of action films seem to end up on streaming and they almost seem to be second tier. This is really a cut above and the standout action movie of the year for me. Well, maybe one other, as we'll see. 
Uh, number three, I've got to agree with Graham here again, 3,000 Years of Longing. I, I think George Miller always makes films that take you to different worlds. And obviously everybody knows him from Mad Max. But you've got the Babe films. Uh, you've also got the powerful Lorenzo's Oil. You know, mm. this is a guy that when he makes a film, he almost forces you into that world. And And this is another one. It's a great film about storytelling captivated me from the beginning and i think i've never seen tilda swinton and idris elba better than they were in this film it has twists and turns and it works on so many levels has a real emotional depth to it in a way for me this is that other film everything everywhere all at once should have been but went too abstract this kept a strong base of a storyline and character regardless of how fantastic it went a huge flop in the cinema this year, but it's a major cult film in years to come. I'm almost sure of it. Number two is my action film of the year, which is Top Gun Maverick. I quite liked the first Top Gun film when it came out, but I wasn't a massive fan. I thought it lacked a story with any depth, though the visuals were strong. This has much more nuanced story, but then Cruz has surrounded himself by people he works well with. And obviously you've got Christopher McQuarrie in there, certainly doing a polish on the script, if nothing more. So the characters stand out and it builds to a cracking climax. And I think Joseph Kaczynski, who's made a lot of films that never really hit the mark, this time has, has done justice to it. It's a cracking sequel, far better than the original. Mm. And my number one film is The Batman. Now, this is the wow. second time a Batman film has been my top film of the year. The first was Dark Knight which looked at a post-9-11 America, the Batman is even darker. It's a society falling apart where crime, lies, and vengeance rule. There's no place in this world for sunny optimism. It really captures, I think, a political moment and, and where we are. Matt Reeves has created a three-hour classic that ultimately is about redemption. Pattinson's performance, Giacchino's music, and amazing production designs are just three of its excellent qualities that make it my film of the year a film that holds up to many repeated viewings and i'm intrigued as to where they're going to take this story next unlike graham yeah i've never been that big a fan of pattinson but i think he excels here so yep. that's my top five um i believe you're up next neil excellent I could have put these in any order. And in fact, I've got seven films that probably could have run in the top five and in any order. But I've got at number five, The Batman. Dark, as Jeff has just been waxing lyrical about, a dark, brooding, gloomy, gritty noir by Matt Reeves. Excellent cinematography from Greg Fraser. Robert Patton, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano and uh, Colin Farrell are just what we needed in a Batman film. They're brilliant. Michael Giacchino's score is more like a fil the film Seven rather than a traditional superhero mm. movie. And I think it should be applauded for that. Uh, brave, bold and engaging. Uh, number four, I've got Belfast, uh, Kenneth Branagh's love letter to the city he was born in, told from the point of view of the nine-year-old uh, played by Jude Hill. Katrina Balfe is absolutely fantastic as the mother. I mean, it's worth watching just for that. Kieran Hines and Judy Dench as the grandparents are excellent. It's funny, moving, beautifully shot by Hans Amber Lucas. 
and the Van Morrison soundtrack was a neat touch. Oh, and Everlasting Love got stuck on autoplay in my head for days afterwards. A nightmare. Thanks, Jamie Dornan. A story of an ordinary people during an extraordinary time and brilliantly told. At three, I've got Banshees of Inishirin, a classic Malcolm Madonna. The film shines a light on an insular community and rips it to bits. Brennan Gleeson and Colin Farrell are excellent. Kerry Condon has the best line in the film. You're both boring. And Barry <laughs> Keegan is brilliant as the village idiot slash abused child. Humour, plenty of stupidity, and many very sharp observations. It really is very good. Number two... Licorice Pizza. Oh, yeah. Sharply observed, detailed, inventive, and very funny. A sort of once upon a time in Hollywood, but better. Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman are brilliant. And Paul Thomas Anderson, despite all the storylines and all the characters, including Lucille Ball, John Peters, and William Holden too, never lets go of the main thread, the on-off romance. A brilliant story and a slice of 1970s Hollywood told by someone who lived through it. And at number one, I can't believe I'm going to almost agree with Jeff, Top Gun. A no-holds-barred adrenaline-fueled thrill ride. (laughs) And to complete the hot fuzz quote, there's no way you could perpetrate that amount of carnage and mayhem and not incur a considerable amount of paperwork. Uh, The blockbuster we waited so long for. Excellent references back to the original. The Admiral's daughter of the first film is the love interest in this one. Um, That is very funny. Little stuff like that just adds to the joy and the fun. Miles Teller is excellent, as always. But, of course, this is all Tom Cruise and Joseph Kaczynski. Wonderful, wonderful escapism. I had Top Gun Maverick at number six and Licorice Pizza at number seven. Mm. Yeah, I had uh, Bullet Train at six and Elvis at seven. Phil. Phil, you're last. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah um my number five i don't think any of you've said this is living uh so this film took me by complete surprise its credentials are impeccable it's based on ikira kurosawa's ikiru it's adapted by kazuo ishiguro directed by oliver hermanas and starring bill nye so i should have expected more but it was a remake so i kind of thought well is it going to capture the magic of the first? But it's just a truly wonderful film. It has a beautiful message. It's one of those things that you kind of wish that you could keep that message in your mind kind of in it throughout the day and kind of generally throughout life. And Bill Nye, I, I've never seen him better. I would love to see him os- Oscar nominated for it. His performance is just stunning. Um, yeah, so living... At number four, and Jeff will love this, The Northman. (laughs) (laughs) I had that at number eight on my list. (laughs) So I think Robert Eggers, and Jeff will disagree with this, but I think Robert Eggers (laughs) is proving himself to be an exceptional filmmaker. His third film can be stripped back to its basics and just described as a revenge story based on Hamlet. It's not really based on Hamlet, but that's what most people will will recognise it as. But what makes this great is all of the component parts coming together to make it spectacular. It's visually stunning, shot in Northern Ireland. It features exceptional performances from Alexander Skarsgård, Klaas Bang, Anna Taylor-Joy, Nicole Kidman and Ethan Hawke. 
and its commitment to its main character's vengeance and the Viking way of life has to be commended. I was enwrapped throughout. Jeff liked it too. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to have the same argument we had so many months ago, are we? There's one scene in it I like. That's about it. (laughs) Right, and here's the crossover bit. There's a couple of crossovers here. So number three, The Batman. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what is it about Batman? In amongst DC's incredibly troubled slate of superhero films, they can always turn to the man dressed as a bat. This film is something special. And again, I felt that it had a lot to live up to. Ten years ago, Nolan completed what I thought was a near-perfect trilogy. And along comes Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson. Um, And they have a lot to to deal with and to live up to. And even if you go back as far back as Michael Keaton and, and Jack Nicholson, Boy, do they nail it. They get it just right on every level. And it's three hours, but every moment is just propulsive and engrossing. And I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. What is it about Batman? Is it just that he's not super? He's a superhero who's not super. But you can keep making it darker and darker and darker, (laughs) can't you? Because there's no light involved, really, is there? There's no lightness I think what they do is it reflects the times. You look at the silliness of the 60s, which reflects the mm. 60s and that optimism we had back then. You look at the 89, the frivolous ones of Burton mm. and Schumacher and what they did. But then suddenly you've got, as I said about The Dark Knight, is is a comment on 9-11. And this is a comment on on where we are with politics. And there's that moment at the end, the guy turns to him, you know, one of the assailants in the in the Super Bowl thing, and says, I am vengeance, using his line. And he realizes mm. how infectious, like a QAnon conspiracy theory, that line becomes. I, I think each one reflects its age. And yeah, it is scary. They're getting darker and darker. You know, I'd like to be able to make an Adam West one to, somewhere along the way. Mm. So we can have a laugh again. I don't see a lot of shark repellent in these, do you? No. But no. you can put humour into Spider-Man and Superman, can't you? Yeah. You really yeah. cannot put humour, not much humour. You can put a bit between Alfred and Batman, Bruce, yeah. and Bruce Wayne, but yeah. there's not a lot anywhere, is there? No. But we digress. That's only number two for film. Mm. Oh, that's number three. three. Number three, sorry. Yeah, so, so the only thing surprising about number two, I think that you guys will find, is that it's not my number one. <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. I've been bleating on about this film for how long? How excited was I for this film? Like two <laughs> years ago, three years ago. It's a rare thing for, for a sequel to be so good, but this surpasses the original. Maverick just absolutely soars. The fact that it's been delayed for so long meant that my expectations were so high, and yet... I think it's such a testament to how good it is, is that it's still met and exceeded those expectations. It is a perfect mix of nostalgia for the original and an update to modern action blockbusters. The stunt footage and realism is extraordinary. Tom Cruise proves yet again that he's king of the action blockbuster. But, and I know... Everyone seems to miss this fact. He is superb in it as well. The quiet moments, the Mm -hmm. scene with Iceman, 
he is just a phenomenal actor as well. It's not just that he's crazy and would like to you know, climb mountains without a safety rope and all the rest of it. He can really act. Um, and I loved Top Gun Maverick. I thought it was great. Should have been number one in any other year. <laughs> so you put it in the same place I did, Phil, number two. So my number one, and I'm going to put a little bit of a meander at the front here, is I am not doing this to be weird and the weird critic who picks a weird film. And I know that nobody else is, I know nobody else is going to pick this film. And I know that everyone's going to think I'm odd and peculiar. But I've picked the film that truly meant the most to me and that I loved so much. I've seen this film four times this year, twice at the cinema, twice at home. And according to Apple Music's replay of my most listened to albums, I've listened to the soundtrack for nearly 5,000 minutes this year. And that film is Cyrano. Oh, wow. Really? I know that this isn't like in anybody's radar or as like best film of the year, but for whatever reason, I absolutely fell in love with this film. My wife rolls her eyes at how much I play that soundtrack at home. <laughs> I listen to it in the car. I listen to it at you know, at home, whatever, doing housework. I've watched the film four times, as I said. I've got it digitally downloaded, and I will literally watch 10 or 20 minutes or fast forward to one of the songs or one of the sequences. My favourite song will change every kind of few weeks and I'll listen to certain ones at different times. The music is written and composed by the Desna brothers. I think they are from the national and the national is one of my favorite bands. That be it then. Yeah. Which which helps a great deal, but it's not just about the music and obviously it's a musical and the music has to be, you know, is a big part of it. But I thought that Peter Dinklage, Haley Bennett and Calvin Harris Jr. were perfect in that film. You know, it's a classic kind of unrequited love. There's a magic to it, the way that they interact together. And Joe Wright, who's the director, manages to put together some really wonderful sequences. Someone to say reprise where the battalion of troops are sword fighting with uh, their uh, wooden sticks and the camera kind of goes through it as they're sword fighting and parrying with each other whilst the music is sort of playing. I just, honestly, I love this film so much, and I actually am just sad that I'm the seemingly only one on the planet oh. that does. Yeah, I know. Um, didn't it come out in, like, January? So you Yeah, so it came out kind of mid-January, and I think... I think I took my wife around Valentine's Day to watch it and she was completely nonplussed. She was just like, yeah, it was all right. It was fine. Happy Valentine's Day. And I I was just, it was that sort of, you know, you come out of the cinema, it's that sort of conversation where I was just, oh, it was amazing. And she's like, (laughs) I was just like, what? I had to go and see it again at the cinema in its last week just before it disappeared. And then as soon as it became available on digital, and I think by the time it came available to download i'd listen to the soundtrack probably for like a thousand minutes at that point and what have you so but yeah i love it i think it's phenomenal if you thought it was just all right or you've missed it i really really would suggest it and if you like dreary indie rock bands the national are it right i mean they can't top radiohead who are the greatest band in the world of all time trademarked but <laughs> they're close <laughs> What's interesting, I mean, it's a film, and, and we've, we've picked a number of films in our respective top fives. 
that all flopped at the box office. Yeah. Nightmare Alley, uh, 3,000 Years Along In. And, and this is another one. Serrano, I mean, Serrano flopped so badly, they wouldn't even put it out on physical media. Really? You could only get a digital copy of it. Yeah, wow. that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So, and and yet it, it is a good film. I, I have a few problems with it, but it is a good film. I I, um, I have listened to the soundtrack a couple of times. The songs are good. So, yeah, I, I'm intrigued. Okay. So we now come to that moment you've all been waiting for, and the moment you've been waiting for, the combined films of the year for the At The Flicks Top 5, and they are... So, as you know, I take points from each film. So if you've rated your film as number one, it gets five points. If you rate it as five, it gets one point. And I've totaled all that up. The top three are clear. In other words, they've got a number of points that they don't match anything else. The bottom two have the same number of points. So then I applied the second rule, which pissed Phil off last year, <laughs> which is if more than one person voted for it to get to that point, then it gets precedence. And that's what's happened here, which means in fifth position, we have Serrano. Cyrano. Yep. In fourth position, we have Belfast. I've been robbed again. Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) In third position, the Banshees of Inishiran. In second position, the Batman, which means Top Gun Maverick come out top. Yeah. No no complaints there, I'd say. Yeah. So Top Gun Maverick, everybody but Graham put it in the top five. And I had it at six, yeah. Everybody but Darren put that in their top five. And the Banshees of Inishirin, again, two people by Graham putting it top and Neil putting it second or third. Third, I think. Wasn't it? Third, yeah. 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 It uh, generated the points. Hmm. So, uh, that's how it works out. Quite so, right, just, to, just to repeat then Cyrano, Belfast, Banshees of Inishirin, The Batman. Top Gun Maverick film of the year. We're nothing if not commercial. <laughs> and our next show will be coming from Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> As for next month, it's our year start show. We will announce our awards for 2022, including my favourite, the award for the best Mel Gibson film of 2022, says Jeff. <laughs> I can already tell you what that is, but I won't. I'll say I'll, I'll give some <laughs> fake precedence on this. I, don't know. Yeah, I can I can almost smell what that one's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we will also talk about some of the talented film folk who sadly passed away in 2022, and we'll look forward to what we would like to see in 2023. Cinemas still existing would be a good start. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap. And another at the flicks is in the can. Graham, as we've now finished, can I borrow your Whitney t-shirt, please? By your own. I've had this since before you were born. Before Whitney was born as well. (laughs) And to everyone else, thanks for listening and have a happy new year.